Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live at the begins of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, The Kings and the Quest, Ascabellum. In the last episode of the podcast, our wonderful adventurers had escaped the clutches of strange Sahuagin and pirates on the island of Bonebreak, hopping on a vessel on their way to Avi, the capital of Azkabellum, with a crew of Avians who apparently have grown a certain liking to Anton. Anton finding out that he may have some strange blood ties to a place he's never been to before. Uh, and after having explained a lot of his religious philosophy to a few interesting individuals, uh, Anton has apparently picked them up as minor disciples. Not major disciples yet. We'll, we'll maybe, we'll see if they level up. But anyway, at this point, our heroes uh, pulled up to the port in the major city of Avi, very busy and bustling port, and found their boat being hailed in and welcomed by none other than King Theron Azkabellum himself. Uh, the party stands on the deck looking down at the king, who's being hauled around on a throne by a group of individuals holding it up, all kinds of fancy leg. And as people shout, toot horns, and welcome the adventurers, uh, what do you do as you stare down the uh, loading plank here, down to the king who greets you with a hail? Uh, what is the proper title for the king of Ascabellum? Uh I mean, honestly, he's just King Theron. Uh, so Norhill will descend the gangplank and like bow or salute as if to an equal. Okay. Uh, King Throne Ashkabellum. I am Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Halls of Silver and Steel. And with that, he gives a nod that looks like welcoming and respectful, but he gives kind of a quick glare to a small scurrying individual who stands beneath the the uh, the the, uh, the platform that his seat is being raised on. He kind of scuttles out and looks up at the king. King looks down at him very disappointed and looks back to Norhill and says, My, my, the lord of the hall. I had no idea. And looks down at this little steward who gives him a very like, oh no. Look, and as he looks back up at him, the king looks back and he says, I greet you warmly in my land and may we be friends eternally. Indeed. As the rest of the three awkward ducks standing up on the gangplank looking down like... Clica <laughs> uh, just walks down the gangplank and waves and just, you know, gives the fucking iconic Hi, I'm Clica. And with that, he gives a quick nod and he says, Hi, I'm King Theron. This guy gets it. He knows how to do introductions. You know that he gives a quick nod and looks to a steward. Steward gives him a wink and a thumbs up and looks back at you both. Of you. They both look back at Klika and then at the other two who seem to be stumbling down the line. I want to make sure that everyone I'm traveling with is like not going to get like, <laughs> I don't know what kind of situation we're going in. So I thought well, it's just very. What's a, is Anton proudly displaying his vestments? 
shit. <laughs> <laughs> so with a giant number one finger that says Illuminator on it, um, <laughs> Anton steps down the game. I and and the like, cheer squad he put I together. He's like boasting it like, like, bam. He's not that, Anton's not that kind of guy. I imagine he might be wearing like some of like the heavier layers over it, but he's not like purposely wrapping himself and covering himself up. Like, wearing a trench coat over a jersey kind of deal. Like, you can tell he's wearing it, but he's not, like, flaunting it. Fancy, but not too fancy. And uh, one thing I suppose that you notice pretty quickly as you stand off and look around to see everybody else and what they're wearing, uh, Anton, you can see that every single person seems to be wearing some sort of patterned attire, some sort of tabard, some sort of flag or something that is demonstrating some sort of heraldic like symbolage, some sort of like family crest, some sort of family coloring, something. And you recognize that you wearing the clothing you're wearing is sort of similar in a sense that it's very much so like identifying who you are and where you're from. But it's clear that everybody else's are more political and yours looks very much so like religious garb. So you definitely stand out from everybody else in attendance, but nobody, it's not like you're like some flashy statement. You get what I'm saying? It's like wearing yeah. a bow tie to a, a regular tie event. Clearly, you got the dress code memo. You're not overdressed, but people can tell they're like, oh, this one's quirky. Must be very interesting and have an accent. So with that, as you step off and approach the throne of King Theron. Well, look at that. Um, so how do you greet the king? Anton comes down the thanks. He as he's coming down, can you get a sense of like if there's any hostility or not hostility? Can you get an idea of like what the crowd, any kind of emotion? Sure. Go ahead and roll for insight on that. Okay. I cast calm emotions on the ground. Yo! I walk down the gangplank casting spells at the innocent. <laughs> <laughs> Just casting spells of knock it off at the crowd. I got 20, but not, not a crit. Okay. Yeah, it definitely looks like some people are giving sort of incredulous looks and like some tilted heads as if a dog heard a squeaky noise or something like that. People are looking at you like, wait, is this guy for real right now but it's only the occasional face and for what it's worth having walked around in lands that don't really appreciate the illuminator before you can tell this is not unheard of it's not like these people are are like violently like cracking knuckles on bike chains or anything like but you can see people definitely take a little bit more of like a oh he's wearing that you know what i mean like people are very clearly picking up on it they just have ceremonial seats laid out for all of us, and then the one labeled Anton is just a witch pyre. <laughs> uh, uh-oh. Oops. I roll inside on the burning pile of wood <laughs> with my name on it. But um, yeah. So how do you greet the king? Is Anton eye level with him, or is he like clearly like above? Like, where's he at the, with this guy? Like, are they? The king is on a lifted, like podium here he's like is he uh one of those like stretchers with the throne on it like Got he's it. lifted amongst everybody so he's a whole head and shoulders above everybody else standing anton will walk up and just give a simple bow and say i am anton of glory wake we have a long awaited meeting you king theron and with that he says and i have longed to meet you as well light bearer of glory wake you honor me with your presence. And uh and Anton just wants to make sure did everyone else behind him like come off the boat? Like are they wants to make sure they're they're gonna get this is definitely more ceremonial that they want to have you be the first ones off the boat. Uh Jarzak has yet to leave the boat, and your little cronies have yet to leave the boat either. Hey, I'm, I'm Jarzak. Still up on top of the boat, just so he can be taller than the king. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Jarzak. I'm tall too. They start double stacking up on the podium, like people are climbing on shoulders to hold the podium up higher, like hey, some we, kind of cherry are we picker. Doing fancy titles, or is that a... 
Oh, God. Okay. I, I, mean... I am Jarzak, disciple of the deceiver, slave <laughs> of the wandering swordsman. I am the shadow bringer. And I cast darkness on the kid. No. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> From the darkness, you see like the podium held up by all those guys, but like only the waist down because of the darkness range. And from oh, the darkness, you hear, Fuck, that guy's good. <laughs> that's how you make an entrance. And you hear the steward start scribbling on a notepad. But anyway, so what does Jarzak say as he approaches? I'm Jarzak. Uh, we received your message and we've come to help. You know that the king says, Very good, Jarzak of. Gorgareth, if I'm not mistaken. That, yeah. That, how did you know? <laughs> Just a hunch. Steward looks back up at him, gives him a thumbs up. And so with that, he says, well, it is with great honor that I introduce you all to my fair land, my wonderful city, and I wish for you all to join me so that we may talk very good matters at hand and we will have a banquet, we will have uh, festivities, and you will all learn the culture of my wonderful land and my people. Please, join us. And his procession of goons begin to rotate this thing like a tank and start to march back up this big sort of, uh, I don't want to say it, like like a pier stairwell all the way up to like the main landing here. And from where you guys are standing, obviously, it looks like you have to follow the procession, sort of following directly behind the uh, mobile throne here. But as you guys begin to follow in the procession, you can see that this pier, this like this landing here with all these boats, there's got to be at least 100 boats parked in here. And, like, and it's, it's its own like separate island that's sort of disjointed and connected to this place. You can see a few different lighthouses have sort of marked the exit to this place, and it's walled off with its own gigantic like marble militarized sort of like protective wall around this landing here. The rest of the city seems to be up on cliffs, sort of similar to that of Eagleheart. But as you guys continue up this pier following the procession for like five minutes, uh, eventually you can see the majority of the construction of buildings in the area are all a very interesting architectural style. It almost seems like something like Greek with how much marble there is and how many different like open buildings there are, how many different pillars and setups that they have. But you can also see some sort of pagoda-ish looking kind of buildings and structures, certain roofs that shingle out in very regal styles as if the roofs themselves are twice as fancy as the actual pillars, um, creating a very flowing and free sort of setup here for architecture. And as you guys follow this procession, the streets clear out and people spread out far so that they can give way for this mobile caravan of heraldry to continue its way through. And as you guys continue down this procession down the streets, which are cobbled and very fine as well, um, you guys can tell that there are any number of traveling swordsmen, people in full plate, people in military garb, whole entourages wearing matching colors and heraldic symbolage, people that seem to be fitting together very well. But for the most part, the people here seem to have quite a look to themselves. You can tell that they have sort of pin straight hair of different like earthy tones, some varying from like a brownish black kind of color all the way up to like a brighter like auburn kind of color. But only rarely do you see anybody who looks, for lack of a better description, like Anton and his entourage of monks here. As you can tell that there are a few Avians to be seen as well. And these people seem to have darker skin, sort of tannish with brighter red hair, some curls on some of their heads and whatnot. But for the most part, the most glaring note that you can make here is that as you're passing through, many of what would seem to be the Azkabellans seem to be doing very well, or at least dressed as such. And the people who appear to be the Avians seem to be dressed in more understandably like artisanal clothes. So like wearing like, you know, aprons and wearing like schmocks and wearing like, you know, like various like workers attire, tools on belts and whatnot. And the streets are alive with people working hard in what appear to be like big guild halls and whatnot. But as the procession continues down the street for a good like 30 minutes up on a hill looking over the entirety of the city of Avi, 
you guys can see that there is, in fact, a large palace, even more grand than anything else you've seen in recent memory, with gold-tipped and silver-tipped like um, uh, pinnacles to various towers adorning the palace, various flags of different colors, and massive flags that seem to have the heraldic symbol of Azkabellum with what appears to be something of like a, uh, uh, a griffin marched over a gold and red flag. And so with that, the uh, party are marched into the main palace and the steward stops following the king, allowing him and his own separate entourage to go one way. And he pulls you guys aside. And this guy up close and personal seems to be very sweaty. He looks very greasy, probably weighs no more than 90 pounds and seems to be about five foot two total. And he looks to you guys with sort of a squirrely look. And he says, all right, you're going to be meeting at the banquet. I'm going to have you meet in the main hall and then we're going to proceed further onward. Don't stop as he kind of, you know, keeps fingering you guys to keep following him as he hurriedly goes in a different direction. He says, you're going to be coming with me this way. Your friends and entourage are going to be going that way. And he keeps kind of swinging his arms left and right until he looks like one of those cliche road signs that have like, you know, 10,000 miles to France that way. Like he's just swinging his arms left and right up and down. He says, we're going to go to the Coliseum. We're going to have a grand meeting and then he'll have you meet at his fine estate for the evening. Is that okay? I don't suppose we have much of a choice to not be okay with it, as long as, well, we'll just make do with what we get. Um, she he says, to me. he gives a very tight smile, a very forced smile, and he says, you have all the freedom in the world to do as you please. You are guests here in Avi, and you are friends of the king already. If there's anything I can do, as he puts his little notepad away, he says, be sure to tell me so that I may help you. What's your name? What? I asked him what his name was. I'm sorry, when Kleeka made a noise, I was like, what the heck? Was that a low-flying airplane? What's going on here? <laughs> But he says, my name is Diaz. Diaz. Yes. Well, what thank do you, you need? Thank you. Nothing. Oh, you, Just sorry, you, you said my name. I, I assumed you were telling me something I had to do. No, just confirming it is your name. Okay. Uh, how uh, long in do the you future. Have until, sorry. Yes, don't do that either. It, it's hard for me to get a word in edgewise with anybody talking over me. So if you'd please do not say my name unless you need something. Yes, as he points to Norhill in a very like running the show kind of way. He says, what do you need? How long do we have until the festivities begin? Well, as he looks outside at the sun in the middle of the sky, he says, I would imagine we've got about... Uh, five minutes before you have to meet in the banquet. Um, should we change? Uh, then Kleeka starts to pull out her nice clothes. I think, I think we're fine. And he says, yes, uh, if you would like to change, um, hmm, I guess I could uh, afford for something like that. But if you're even a moment late to the banquet, I'm afraid that is inexcusable behavior. Do you need to change your clothing? We have just come from a long journey. We will be much more presentable given the chance to change. And with that, he like snaps one foot to the floor fast and he says, well, then let's go because I have no time for this sort of business. Let's go. And so he starts pointing you guys hurriedly in a direction, snaps his fingers. And as you guys walk through the threshold here, which again, looks very much so like, like two story tall columns of marble that have this big marble sort of entryway here. Once you walk in through one of these big spanning open doorways, you see a massive hallway stretches back about like a hundred feet and about 40 feet wide adorned with four giant statues and two hanging from the ceiling, like two big chandeliers, each one of them adorned with colors and decorations of red, blue, green, white. Uh, we've got some black and yellow. And it seems like this whole place is adorned in a very balanced sort of equidistant structure between all the statues. And he points hurriedly to a subsection of doorways and halls. And he says, go down there. Doors are on the right and on the left. Find the ones you need. Do the thing. Hurry up. I have no time for this. 
And with that, his little entourage of people behind him, he snaps in your direction. And each one of you has about three people following each one armed with Taylor's equipment as if, if the need arises, a single button, a single thread is out of place. You have a team of three people to hedge trim, Clem, and, and like put it all back together. So with that, they all start just kind of hurriedly pushing each of you in the right direction. Oh, damn. So I was going to say, who's actually getting changed? Stay in his garments, I think. I don't know. He... I think he'll take take off the coat and everything. I think he'll just make sure he's wearing like fresh, clean garments, if anything. I imagine he has more than one set of holy robes. Well, you would imagine, but guess what you don't have? Not more than one set of holy robes. This shit stinks. <laughs> like, this thing is a nightmare. I just showed up to the king's court you, in my underpants. You are traveling with Klika. Nothing smells or is dirty. <laughs> this is like... The freaking glad com- the glade commercials where it's like mm, ah, ah, la 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 because Cleek is just zapping everybody with fresh freaking pine smells. But anyway, okay. I mean, did anybody else want to change other than you into the regal attire? Does Nora Cle- Hill do it as well? Yeah, and uh, and Nor- Norhill is too. But on top of his super fancy clothes, he still wears a couple choice pieces of the armor of the hall. You know, like you would to a military ceremony, like the the plate or something. Y'all are going to bring just like the giant stein. Obviously. Actually, yeah, 100%. He's going to bring the giant stein. And while we're changing, he's going to pass it around to everybody and make sure that everybody's got half proficiency in diplomacy checks. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> or no, I just made that up. Persuasion. <laughs> that, that, that's a different system. I'm that, doing it now what's, too. On top what's your, of whatever uh, we had. Yeah. Nice. So what's uh what's the toast you give? Uh, to new uh, to new French. Hey, Anton raises a glass to that. All righty. And so as you guys clink and begin to sip off of the uh, the single stein here, you guys, after sipping even once, are like grabbed cartoonishly by the scruffs of your outfits and pulled into changing rooms as if by some sort of slasher monster. Because you're like, there is just no time for this. So Norhill pulls out the tankard, says a toast, and everybody just... And everybody gets pulled into different directions as you pull out your clothing and are dressed and cleaned up and tidied up. Now everybody all goes of to our... Help- Anyone who's getting dressed in like the fancy garb that Klika bought everybody, it is in the colors of Amaroth, just as a reminder. Klika Very doesn't good. care. She's wearing it because it's her nicest outfit. Amaroth was red and white, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fine. Which, historically speaking, from what all of you know, Azkabellum itself fragmented off as a separate empire from Amroth a long time ago, like a long time ago. And so there are some similarities between the peoples, but it seems like the ideological differences that have grown between the two of them have only become exacerbated over time. So there are some similarities between the two, but this place is definitely like, you know, a very exaggerated form of what Amroth could have been. So everybody gets redressed, redirected, and everybody's pulled out of their changing rooms and hurriedly down the hall. They are pushed by Diaz and the rest of the crew here. And he says, come on, lift your feet. And he looks over at Klika and he says, look, I get your legs are short, but there's no reason to be slow. Klika lifts her Norhill. feet as high as possible. I just <laughs> pick, pick, pick Klika up completely. Just scoop her. <laughs> and with that, the uh, also three... Did Norhill put any fancy uh, braids into his beard for these sort of things? I don't know if that's something dwarves do. Uh, probably not given the time, but you know he did sort of you know, straighten it out into like a fork shape when it's usually like a spade. 
with that when you're going to do that in the changing room the three people helping you bat your hands away from it and pull out this strange kind of like hand spinning device latch onto the ends of the hair there and it begins to automatically twist braid separate and clean the hair of your beard as if like a magic device and so with that they pull it detangle it get into nice firm braids and put silvered clasps on that seem to match perfectly with your outfit and yeah so as you peep out of that room Kalika looks over and sees the dangling fancy braids <laughs> yeah so with that okay as you guys are pushed into a chamber that's more square shaped than not with a massive round table here and seated at the most important space uh directly by an opening out peeking over the uh over the cliffside out to the ocean to the west uh, the king is already seated with a series of like five nobles to his left and to his right. All of them, similar to Norhill, are wearing like militaristic garb and still wearing the, you know, heraldic symbols on very firm display. Helmets are like seated next to their hands at the table. And as the procession of you guys come out and are seated equidistant around the table, you can see this room itself is also adorned with pillars and statues as well. Um, does anybody have... Uh, knowledge religion yes or i suppose history would work as well in nature to be honest i got Perfect. a 16 in religion now we can all roll <laughs> i was gonna say i'm pretty sure that catches everybody right uh i got a nine history very good it gives everybody a high five because that's what she got a nine nature damn and anton got the uh 16 was it yep so what you notice about this place, and you've seen a few different symbol, uh, symbols of this, I guess Norhill and Jarzak would also know this to a certain extent. Klika just recognizes that this is very much so an ancient religious sort of look here, but the idea of these six interbalanced figures is definitely like a religious thing. That's as much as Klika knows. Norhill and Jarzak know them to be great gods. Uh, their names are less known to you guys, and instead you know them more as being representative of, like, prime elements that came before, you know, pretty much any other gods in any pantheon. But Anton is aware, as these guys are kind of like, I don't want to say to the church in Glory Wake and to the Church of the Illuminator, these are seen as sort of like the grandpappy gods, the greater gods here. These six figures are prime elements of the universe that, as some philosophies would dictate, act as balance that created all of the planet. And the uh, interpositions here of fire and earth, interposition of the, the, sorry, the balance there between water and air and the balance between darkness and light is pretty well known to you for what you know about the religion. Um, as far as names of the gods go, the prime names here for the, uh, the crew, uh, I don't know that it's super important to know the names of all of them. But again, the idea being that many people assume all of the gods in existence were created by them. The immortals were created by them. Everybody has some sort of hail back to these. And these six are created by the self-reflection of the one, which is pretty much all that is, all that was, and all that will ever be. And so this place having these so prominently placed everywhere seems to let you understand that their religious structure is probably one that follows many gods, but these are following the greater gods, which are not necessarily like, you know, impact your daily life, cast a spell because you're praying kind of gods, and more of a theological, philosophical basis with which to orient your life. You know what I mean? Sort of an idea that balancing your own life through like metaphors of these great gods. You get what I'm saying? So yeah, like, Anton can respect that. Very good. Yeah. Um, the the one I guess I would name for you is Alias. And Alias is the greater god of light. And um, the Illuminator himself, or themselves, I guess, is sort of a descendant as a constellation of stars from Alias itself. So Alias representing all that is light in a like wondrous and like knowledgeable sense. 
So the Illuminator comes from him in some weird disjointed family tree kind of way. So I guess that's probably the only one you would know about. Or need to know about. But as you guys sit here around the table and marveling over these interesting depictions and statues of the gods here, uh, the king stands for a moment and holds up a golden goblet and he holds it up. Everybody else begins to stand as you guys round the table side. And he says, I welcome you to my chambers, my royal court, the banquet hall. You are friends now, friends forever. And I hope that we can come to an agreement of what we should do to save all of the world, starting one land at a time. And he holds his goblet up in a toast. And all the nobles begin to robotically agree and lift their little goblets as well. And you guys see placed before you as a hurried mass of servants come rush and provide each of you with your own little goblet with wine. And they wait expectantly for you to raise your goblets as well. Yes. <laughs> Waiting for Norhill to pour the goblet in the mug. <laughs> I thought about it. But that doesn't seem like the best choice, nor is just going to do what everyone else is doing. I mean, to be honest, I don't think anybody would be opposed if you had the, like, I imagine one of the stewards might, like, as you, like, try to slyly slide your stein in place of the goblet, one of them would pour it into the, uh, into the stein. And as they pour, like, a little helping of it, I imagine Norhill might be like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and it starts to fill about halfway up before the guy lets go because his carafe is just empty. So he's just like shrugs and goes back to his little position behind one of the pillars. <laughs> and so with that, everybody a bunch of goblets. little goblets and and one like double fist size silver stein. Nice. <laughs> Come a cup. But uh yeah, and so with that, they all lift the steins and people begin to clink down the line in a circular pattern. Again, reflecting on the balance of the statues surrounding you. Um so at this point, he sits and plates of food begin to come around the table and you guys get like slabs of fresh uncooked fish as well as fish eggs and various bits of like seaweed that have been prepared in different forms and ways uh snails and like uh sea urchins and things that are prepared very very lightly cooked if cooked at all and the table is just like aroused with all different kinds of smells and all different kinds of odors and tastes as like this table is just, I don't know, a banquet of, of very strange flavors. And as you guys begin to sniffle around at all these weird different sea oddities that have been presented to you, the king looks eagerly at every single one of you and his steward stands about three feet behind him, almost like invisibly so by sitting so perfectly behind him. And so... I don't know. How do you think you guys would react to these kinds of explosive flavors? I'm just curious. Anton's never experienced anything like this in Glory Week, being a... Well, to be honest, you probably have experienced things similar to it, so it's not like you're, it's like unheard of, you know? Okay. It's just I, I think having Anton's it so like... Willing. I think he'll be a little bit skeptical, but he'll, he'll, he'll eat it out of respect. Okay. They're being very generous with the food they're giving. I'll be respectful of that. I mean, anybody who's... I mean, you guys have eaten with the queen. You guys have eaten with many people who have quite a bit of wealth to them. These plates alone that they're being handed to you look like they're worth more than a home in Glentor Gabora. It's like, it is... This is a display. This the king has pulled his wiener out and he's showing the wealth of his nation in the most audacious, like ostentatious way that he physically can. And as these oh, plates are going around, that Clico's yeah, not like, really like paying attention to what she's grabbing and eating, she's just sort of doing it because she has her eyes dead set on Jarzak, ready to mage hand and mend <laughs> at any moment when he just fully makes a fool of himself. Jarzak just continues to go to reach for like the messiest food option there. Just like looks up at Cleek is just like, okay, okay, I will go. I, the, you see the mage hand ready to pull it away from you. Uh, <laughs> like, like, I, gently I slapping his top of his hand, just like, well, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. I guess I will use a fork, uh, twirl it, right? That's 
Jarzak, that's the goblet. (laughs) Oh, God, it spilled all over me. (laughs) The stewards rush up to help Jarzak, and Trika just starts turning a different color. Yeah, (laughs) there's a small sound of a goblin soul dying. And with that, too fancy, Klika. You can't move at him. King Therone, seeing this display back and forth between Klika and Jarzak, he says, Oh, this is this is so funny. He takes his goblet and splashes his steward in the face, and the steward is just like, And with that, he's like, Go on, go ahead. And with that, the uh, one of the nobles beside him splashes across the table and hits another noble. Klika has a full on panic attack. (laughs) <laughs> one of them throws a piece of fish at another one. And with that, the king just starts cracking up and he says, is this how you do it at Amaroth? Is this what the world outside of my island is like? What a raucous time. I remember I'm not from Amaroth. You guessed it earlier. He looks over the steward, the steward wiping like the wine away from his face. He's just like, oh, I forgot, I forgot. And the king looks back at you guys like, true, very True. How could I forget? So, I don't know if this changes anything for uh, Norhill or Anton, but now there's a full-blown stain food fight going on across the table, and slowly but surely the uh, uh, the fury of fish and wine seems to be slowly making its way over to your side of the table as pieces yeah, keep Yeah, Anton's almost direction. about to, like, cast, like, Shield of Faith <laughs> on himself, and just be like, what? please, no. And so with that, as the nobles... <laughs> slowly start to like kind of simmer down and everybody starts to giggle amongst themselves they look over to your side of the table again and they say my we are having a great time aren't we this is truly good fun i am so happy that we as friends can meet at this table and share such good times can I, this, can, I, can I do, yeah can i do really an insight weird. on this sure I just, she was like, I don't really know how to handle him. 21. Threw a fish at me. Yeah, it checks out. Brought a fish from home. <laughs> Why, what jars I get? Seven. <laughs> jars I just pulls out half of a zombie shark, slaps a guy with it. <laughs> it's still Caught alive. this one myself. <laughs> we can Still biting on his, his arm, his gauntlet. <laughs> just walking around, out. Yeah, right. You look down, it's not even your gauntlet. It's just a small shark. You're like, <laughs> like oh, shit. Where'd the gauntlet go? <laughs> Meanwhile, some guy run around a bone break like, where'd my arm go? <laughs> oh, God. Like, this isn't my shark. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what did you get on the insight? Ryan? 21. Yeah. The king is definitely forcing this. He's trying very hard to be welcoming. It's I don't I don't know. I don't want to sound silly for saying this, but he's like it's like the stepdad trying very hard to be relatable and fun by being like, "Do you play the Pokémon still? We love Pokémon. I remember when they invented it. It was a great time." Like he's trying so hard to be relatable. It's hard to tell exactly why, but it doesn't seem malicious. He's not trying to, like, coerce you guys into liking him for any reason other than to get you to like him and hopefully build some sort of relationship. He's also here. a man stuck on an island cut off from the rest of the world. So. I mean, it, for what it's worth, this place is booming. Like, even even Eagleheart didn't look as nice as Avi. Like, the, the poverty and whatnot on, upon entering the city. Again, this place is pretty lavish and pretty nice. So it I don't want to say anything and speak out of pocket about a place I created in a fictitious space, but it's pretty uh pretty nice. That means they force all the poor people to live underground. I've seen this plot before. <laughs> oh no. I'm, I'm just <laughs> gonna say Anton made it all the way into a city without giving away any of his gold or rations. The city's <laughs> doing pretty good. <laughs> And then, yeah, right. There's just one super poor guy who lives in the basement making it all work. <laughs> that old thought experiment. But um, with that, yeah, Anton has a heart attack considering this fate. Um, oh, but with that, and with that, we will remember Anton as well. Um, but yeah, okay. And so with that, as you guys are given multiple dishes of fish, now more cooked than they were before, and various desserts that are, again, kind of unheard of. 
I guess this would be the equivalent to like a uh, sorbet, some sort of like a, a very fruity, chilled dessert that you guys are given in small silver bowls. But it's it's like a strange, very tropical tasting, very tart and tangy sort of uh, ice creamy kind of thing going on here that you're given as the last round for the dinner before given the uh, what do they call it, an aperitif at the end, like the the fine little fancy yes. drink. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. As you guys are handed your last little bit of like a dessert wine to go with the ice cream. And with like, that, it's way kings... too much, way too fast. Just <laughs> all of a sudden, just like starts shaking, clutches his hands, and he's like, "Click, I think the deceiver's coming for me. He's in my mind." Bella <laughs> <laughs> cuts back. Jarzak failed his con save against brain freeze. Yeah, what are we <laughs> panics. <laughs> and with that, the uh. The king again raises his little aperitif line here, and he hangs it over the table, and he says, a good meal, yes? Indeed. Very good meal. Thank you for your generosity. Clico wants to eat a whole pheasant out of a can, but <laughs> this meal was pretty good, too. <laughs> and he says, where on earth did you find a pheasant in a can? Clico's gonna rummage through her, uh, pack for any of the gnomish rations she might have left. Just slap it on the table. Just rolls gnomish. Instead of Heinz, it's nines. And it just rolls a can across the table. Just gnome beans. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> now with flavor. And he looks at the can and he says, Bolts Craig Peak, the, the gnomes, are very interesting. And he says, I hadn't heard that Many have spoken with the gnomes in some time, uh, at least for the greater form of Amaroth. None of you are from, from Quarrydale, yes? No, but that's where we took our ship from, and we did go up to Bolt's Crag because we had to do some stuff. There hmm. was a big magic horse, too. And with that, he gives a couple of very interested nods, and he says, I'm sure you have more stories for me than... I could even hear in one night. Perhaps before you tell me all of your stories, I can continue to show you everything that my city has to offer. Would this be okay with you? I'm sure that we would love to see what your city has. And so with that, as dinner begins to get cleaned up, people leave and go into their different hallways to get cleaned off from their freaking food fight that they had here thanks a lot jarzak um with that the uh i mean clica mended depending on how long the dinner was <laughs> it takes a minute to cast mending so that many people well okay i mean fair enough never mind nobody has to go anywhere because clica could took care of the fucking <laughs> table but with that, the king, you know, claps his hands, the steward prepares his little entourage, and with that, about 20 guards in regal attire begin to get the entirety of the party up and ready to go as they're walked out of this area and back out the front of the, the uh, palace and walk down the main road. And at this point, the king and his steward, uh, now with you guys surrounded by an entire entourage of guards, the uh, king stands by each of your sides and he says, the real pinnacle, the jewel of my home, Avi, the namesake of my people, the wonderful, the wonderful spectacle of the Colosseum. I, I hope that perhaps Jarzak, maybe, I, I imagine you or, or maybe Norhill would have the spirit to really appreciate such a beautiful display. Truly an honorable display, indeed. Many people spend their entire lives training in the gladiatorial pits. Many fight their entire lives and come out as legends and heroes, retiring as he points down the lane heading towards this massive coliseum, you can see many statues adorning the road of warriors in various poses with various weapons fighting various beasts. And he says, many people are known for their honorable deeds and they go off to the Grove of Glory to be buried as heroes of this land for going above and beyond what is expected in bravery and might, more than most can ever say. But looking at the likes of all of you, as he looks over Jarzak's scars and pale skin in his gauntlet, it would seem that you all have had some run-ins with great foes in battle. Yes? Unfortunately, um, yes. So if Klika does good in the Coliseum, she'll get a statue? 
well, a lifetime of, 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 of work in the Colosseum could get you such a thing as that. But I, I, I suppose it is the, uh, the nature of the Colosseum. If, if you would like to arrange some sort of a battle, I, 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 I suppose we could do that sort of thing, but I wouldn't have it, not until we discuss important matters. And as he says important matters, you almost feel quotation marks come out of his mouth around the words important matters as his face takes more of a grave look than it has before. Rather than welcoming, it's a very dire look that he gives Cleco when he says this. And he says, but please, we must enjoy the festivities. I have provided quite an interesting display for you all today. And so with that, he... Um, leads you guys up to basically, how do I want to say this? In the Colosseum, you're in like the owner's box of the Colosseum, which is like hoisted perfectly over the actual battlegrounds below in this big circular chamber. And he walks up to the front of this landing here where there are plenty of seats for you guys to sit at. Food is prepared and whatnot. The roaring of the crowd surrounds you from all sides of the circular dome here. And as you stand there in attendance, waiting and watching, the king walks up to the uh, landing here and yells out, in a voice that definitely belongs to a king. Somehow he can push his voice that much harder than pretty much anybody else can. And as he does, he yells out that this honorable day, we honor our heroes who have come from afar, from Amaroth and, and Gorgareth, and they have come from very far away and graced us with their presence. Gladiators of the arena, we salute you and your efforts. Release the beast. And with that, as you guys stand here looking down at the Colosseum, hearing the crowd going wild, there's about six people down there, each one adorned with various forms of metal weapons and various forms of metal armor, some with spears, some with blades, one with something of like an extended bladed whip. Um, they all take different positions as you hear the clanking and rusty rattling of a gate lifting. And as you look down into this place and see all the different pillars rising, a group of what could only be described as half men, like sort of snake-like beings that are made entirely of, of flaming magma come rattling out of these different positions here. And they come sliding directly into the center lapping with like you know flaming tongues and swinging flaming swords at the various gladiators in the arena and this melee goes on down there for what would probably be about five minutes as you watch the tactics of these warriors which again having spent so much time in battle these are very well-trained individuals you almost imagine probably the top of the gladiator cast here and they fight off the majority of them but you witness with a brutal display one of these flaming bladed salamanders literally just chop a guy in half across the waistline. And as he dies a horrific and gruesome death, one of the uh, other gladiators uh, rushes up, kills the salamander from behind, and the crowd goes wild as all the salamanders are defeated and the gladiator is just dead and, and cauterized where he died. And the crowd is going absolutely wild. And the king looks to each of you guys with an eager look on his face. And he says, is this not entertaining, enticing, the glory, the honor of fighting such beasts? Where do those gladiators come from? And he says, these gladiators surrender their lives to come here and fight for a chance at the honor to be remembered for what they do. Come from all walks of life. All are welcome to give themselves to the Colosseum. I so, think so in their free time, do they fight in the army, serve in the city guard? No, they live pretty ordinary lives, to be honest. If they may even earn a very well keep here. Seems a high price to pay for mere entertainment. Honor and glory are the highest reward. No job can give you that but battle. I mean, I'm sure you know this very well, Dwarf. I think Klika, like, as she's watching, she probably saw the point at which that one gladiator made whatever misstep allowed him to get cleaved and got up from her seat and was preparing to cast Dimension Door to, like, get down there and protect him. So, I don't no, because like Klika wouldn't just sort of like watch someone die without 
trying to stop it. Like she doesn't quite yeah, I think get it's, this holes. It's the idea of the sport. Right. I, and I think it's definitely very apparent to everybody in attendance in this box that Klika leapt up at the last moment, kind of like a cat seeing a bird on TV jumping at the screen real quick. Like this like real knee-jerk impulse of like, <gasps> and as it happens so quickly, like Klika didn't have the time or the opportunity to do anything about it. And as like, you know, sort of the crescendo of him dying and seeing the salamander fall to its death, he probably, yeah, I don't know, Klika probably stands there awestruck and dumbstruck like, and then hearing the king just kind of rattle off about how it's such an honorable and glorious death. And you see the guy just dead in the sand in the gladiator pit. It's just a very strange juxtaposition of how Kalika feels about it versus what the king feels about it. I don't know. Did anybody else have a reaction to this? I mean, I understand what you're saying about the glory of battle. Of course, I am a soldier myself. But you see, the at least in my culture, perhaps it's different than yours. The glory of battle comes from, not from the killing you see, but from the things that you fight to protect, the things that matter, you understand. There, there's no glory in just fighting for the fun of it. Uh, we have, you know, games, contests of strength and skill for that. That He kind of responds as he's half standing up to address the crowd, and he turns to you and he says, in a homeland where I'm not threatened by any, my people fight for the honor and glory of proficiency, excellence, the amazement and wonder of pushing performance to new peaks. We don't fight to protect. We fight to learn and we fight to grow. And as he turns and faces the crowd and he yells out, he salutes them, honors the death of the fallen gladiator. And with that, the uh, group, the entourage here, are led back to the palace. Was there anything anybody else had for a reaction? I don't know if Anton or, or Darzak Anton just a... asked if they'll do a burial for him. And so with that, the uh, king turns to Anton and says, why, of course, again, a gladiator's life, any warrior's life here in Ascabellum is very worthy, very valuable, and they are given the finest of funeral processions. Maybe they are. I hate to inform you of this, but they are cremated and put to ash, and their ashes are returned to the sea, as anyone would hope to be, to be one with the elements again, tossed to the wind in the ocean. I would love to learn more of that culture. Is this something we have the time to witness? I suppose we could do such a thing, but Unfortunately, we may not have the time for such a spectacle. I would love nothing more than to explain this to you, but when I speak to you of the important matters that I have brought you here for, I think even you will understand there is no time for us to spectate such an event. And again, he puts one single hand on Anton's shoulder. You two are about the exact same height at this point, same build and pretty much same age too. So he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says... I hope you understand. I understand you are a king who must do his kingly duties as well as entertain guests. I would rather not disrupt your schedule. And so with that, he gives sort of a nod that lets you understand like everything you said is buying into the wrong part of this performance. And he gives a nod. And as you guys are led back to like the third floor in the palace to a large... I think like Kalika's kind of frozen on the edge of the box just sort of like her hands on whatever the the railing or whatever yeah whatever it is and like she she's just sort of like clica hasn't seen like a lot of people that weren't her enemies die in front of her except for the whole impromptu mass grave like she is not particularly used to watching just a life and that wasn't a direct threat to hers. And like it's like she just sort of like is hit with like flashbacks of on the wave wraith watching Hyron just get destroyed by the poison and just how she couldn't do anything then and she couldn't do anything here. And like so I think like everything else sort of just fades out and Klika just sort of tunnel visions in and one of 
the aides or someone is going to have to sort of come over and put like kind of like let her know that people are leaving because she's sort of just stuck there looking at the sands of the pit where if the gladiator's body has been moved where the bloody remains that showed he was there are right i I think we all know who would probably get clica's attention to go i i I imagine it'd be jarzak yeah i don't think jarzak would leave without clica well of course and that's why i'm like i think you'd be the one to be anyone but yeah uh Clicks, hey, Clicka, 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 snap out of Clicka. Hmm? Clicka. Oh, oh, are we, we're going? You, Clicka. Sometimes this is all, this is all people have to live for. And they want to prove themselves any way they can. And just th- these are the cards they got dealt. Sometimes you know, they honestly, get unlucky. I was going to say, from what the king said, I mean, a lot of people gave up their lives as nobles, soldiers, those in poverty, and they like just submitted themselves to the ranks of being gladiators. So it's not like a terrible fate, but it's it's all about honor. Like there's no there's no family to a gladiator. There's no you know what I mean? There's no sense of like a clan belonging. Like you are part of a social caste that's different from everybody. It's respected, but it's it's not a like you literally live for the glory of your titleage. And I imagine yeah. Jarzak has some sense of understanding this position coming from Gorgareth, where to be king means to like lay on the line your clan's whole like lineage by saying, I challenge the current king. If I die, our name is Dirt. But if I win, to Victor goes the spoils. So, like, the idea of, like, risking everything for glory is not unheard of to Jarzak. So I imagine this doesn't phase Jarzak in a very visceral sense or a very, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, culture shock kind of way. But it just, it alarms Jarzak to hear humans saying this in such a weird fetishized way of, like, for glory. Meanwhile, he's like, yeah, but at least if you were in Gorgareth, you became the king. Like, here you get a statue statues so, worth it very Clica, fancy uh, statues Clica just <laughs> they didn't they didn't have to go in there they didn't have to die Clica doesn't understand no. they didn't have to Clica but it's the it's the fate they chose how they wanted to live their life and they they died living it the way they wanted Jarzak you you used to hurt a lot because of the way you wanted. Mm. And Klika's not sure. It just Klika doesn't understand. And then Klika's just sort of gonna walk away without looking at Jarzak and try and hustle up to meet with everybody else. I imagine Norhill and the king probably walk in league at this point, being the two lords here and having the most in common in that respect. Jarzak and him having the most in common with honor and glory. And it just, I don't know. It's just a very interesting position to have the king as sort of like the uh, fifth wheel here. But as the party travel back to the palace and enter like a third story vantage point overlooking the sea in what could only be described as like a glass roofed like bubble dome out here. There's any number of chairs set up here, as well as a very strange fireplace that leads up and through the ceiling here, almost creating kind of like a donut sort of shape, I guess. And as this like bubble sort of like fireplace leads up to the hole in the top, you see storm clouds on the horizon slowly coming in. And as rain begins to gingerly snap and tap at the glass dome here, the fire is stoked by a few of the stewards here. And you guys are all welcomed to sit around the fire here in the bubble dome. And the king turns to each of you as he begins to sort of circle the chamber and the door is locked off where nobody can hear anything other than the echoing of the uh, rain thumping on the glass and the echo of your own voices and footsteps on the uh, stone floor. And so with that, he looks out to the sea very, I don't want to say like dramatically, but he puts his hand on the glass and as his rings tinkle onto the glass, he turns away and looks to each of you and he says, when did you get the letter from my courier? 
when last we were in Eagle Heart. How, yeah, how long that, ago was that? That was, at this point, probably like a month and a half ago. This is when you guys were being knighted. So this was... Right. Clicka hasn't worn these clothes since that. <laughs> Which Still was smell of shame. More than a month ago now, but we've had a long road to here. And he says, have you spoken with the queen or in her court since then? We received a message from um, uh, well, the captain of the guard of Eagleheart, Jaden. But so with that, he kind of gives a nod, almost hearing the hesitance in your voice, as if you know something. And he looks to you in a very like isolating, piercing stare, and he looks back and he says, "And how was he?" He is no longer with this world. And as a single bolt of lightning thumps in the distance, the pressure outside the glass as the rumbling of thunder over the water comes closing in behind him as he sits across from you guys. He says, do you know of the nature of the queen, Queen Garavar of Amaroth, my wife-to-be no more? All we know is, is hidden did not leave on the best terms. Sorry. And it's like he just says, says we didn't leave on the best terms and then goes to Norhill. Wasn't aware that she had any sort of hidden nature beyond what she appears to be. And with that, he he just kind of like changes his, his balance here, puts his hand on the railing against the glass, and he looks back out to the clouds and he says, not all is what it seems in the world, and not all is good and right. Unfortunately, I think she may be, well, I don't want to speak of the doom and demise of Amroth. We all know of the Herald of Steel, and we all know of him looking for each and every one of you. And there's only so much safety that you can have by being here in Azkabellum, Eventually, we will go to war. I would love nothing more than to help Amaroth, to protect the lands and to save them. But I am no friend of the queen. And if my armed forces land on Amaroth, as he turns away from the window and looks back to all of you, it will be to conquer. I will rule Amaroth. For the queen that you know, is no being of this realm whatsoever. She herself is nothing more than a fiendish pawn, a demon come to these lands. She has allowed the Herald of Steel his way in, and I'm afraid even now they have joined forces. Eagleheart has fallen. Glent, Gabora, Cooperford, Mosren, all of them. Fallen to the Herald of Steel, the Iron Maelstrom, her forces, they're all one. I'm afraid if you return home now, you will not have a home to return to, save the dwarves, Corydale, but not for long. I want nothing more to do than to help you to provide help to the people, the good people of Amaroth. But I will get what I had hoped to get. I will claim the lands is my own. I will rule the lands that my forebears and my great-grandfathers and all who came before me were supposed to be in charge of. We came to these lands and we conquered. And I will go home and I will conquer. She is no queen I recognize. She is a demonic pawn and she will be smote and destroyed. How do you know of this? And with that, he pulls out of a small pocket on his vest a small satchel. And as he pulls it open, a bunch of little tinkling gems come out. And as he pulls them out and holds them up, he waves one hand over them. And you can hear a sound kind of like reverberating like fingers on crystal glass, sort of doing that little like whistling kind of circular tone. And you hear sort of like crackling as if like by firelight. 
And as you guys look to the his hand here and look at it, I don't know who would bother to look. He says, as a gift to the queen, I offered many treasures as I asked for her hand in marriage and to join our kingdoms together. I had many suspicions with the death of her father and her brothers that something was awry. I have my ways. And as he holds the gemstones towards you, you guys can see what look to be like many different scrying gems. And as you look into each of them, it's like a small television screen into a different room in her house. And each one of them shows the same general display of blood, frayed bodies and limbs, strange half metal people walking around with rigid armor and weapons at the ready, like running their guard, you know, their, you know, guard duties around the place. And one of them seems to be from the perspective of a ring on a finger. And every once in a while, when the ring comes up to like scratch at a face or hold something up, you can tell that it looks like some sort of strange, possessed, demonic recreation of the Queen of Garavar with sharp needle-like teeth, horns protruding from her forehead, and deep black obsidian eyes with small red rings in them, and a devious demonic smile. And as he pulls the gemstones away, he says, I don't think we have much time. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.